I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. And um, <clears throat> Gospel of Luke chapter 5, and I want to read a little bit from here, and then I'm going to read from the Gospel of John. And then we're going to read in a couple of different places. And uh, we're going to talk about the ancient way. And uh, <clears throat> Greg, the title of the sermon is Ancient Way, Sermon Number One. <laughs> and uh, and I want to I want to show you a couple of things about Jesus calling his disciples when he first called them and uh, to follow him. That's a beautiful story. And uh, let's just listen to the words of Luke in uh, chapter five, verse one. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were wash, washing their nets. <clears throat> Excuse me. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. It's such a beautiful story, isn't it? Don't you wish you could have been there to see that happen? Uh, how many of you have enjoyed the, um, uh, that TV show, The Chosen? Did you watch that as they depicted that miracle? It was just so beautifully done. And, of course, the backstory that they invented and told behind it, of course, uh, you know, we know that that's, that's artistic license there. It's not, not from the scriptures, but, but it's, when, they, when they portrayed all those fish in the boat and you kind of felt the importance, the weight of that in Peter's life, and then realized how much it was that God was asking of him when Jesus said, follow me. Uh, it, just, it just has so many nuances, the story. And um, it's, a, it's, it's a, powerful, a powerful story and because, of course, it, it talks about sacrifice, doesn't it? It talks about Peter laying down everything and, and James and John and Andrew laying down everything and following Jesus. Well, let's take a look at some of the other stories about Jesus calling his disciples. John chapter 1. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 1, if you would. And uh, in John chapter 1, uh, <clears throat> in verse 35, John tells us about the first disciples, the calling of the first disciples. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, 
Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We've found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We've found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The, uh, we have a few other stories in the, in the Gospels talking of the calling of the disciples and how Jesus found them and, um, and, and brought them uh, into his disciple group and began to teach them the ways of God. But these stories in particular are interesting to me because uh, I see the, uh, and they so they so they told so. What, what's the word? Um, in such a short way, uh, I, I think yeah, it's all condensed, isn't it? It's very it's it's a succinct. There we go. There's the right word. Definitely not my version of telling a story. <laughs> I tell a story a lot longer and uh, include all the details, the ones you didn't want to know. But, um, but these stories have within them such emotion, if you allow it, and such uh, challenge, if you allow it. And we can't help but read these stories and think about Jesus calling each one of us. Uh, we have all been called by the Lord to be his disciples and to be his, to be his, uh, his witnesses, his his, the ones who tell his story in the world. Each one of us was called out of darkness into light. And, um, and the voice of the Lord found us through the storm. We, through the, the, the crashing thunder and the waves, the still small voice of God called to us and we all heard that voice. And it's, it's, if we had the time to tell the stories around this room of how you turned from darkness to light, uh, it would amaze and, and surprise each one of us. I love that part of the story. I love that part of my story, and I love that part of your story. God calls, and he speaks a language that pierces through right down to our very core. But when he calls, God gives us a choice, and that choice is ours to make, and it's a very real choice. There are um, competing uh, uh, versions of um, uh, how the universe works, uh, one that suggests that God has already predetermined uh, all that will happen and, uh, and therefore we have no responsibility in making choices because God has chosen us or hasn't chosen us. And there's that, that's one version. And there's another version that puts all the burden on us that we have to make the choice to follow God and if we don't, we're lost eternally. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and that's the other competing version. Somehow in the middle of it all, there's a, there's a combination of both where, where God calls 
because he has predetermined, but we answer and we have a choice to make, which is a very real choice for which we hold responsibility. Somehow, in the mystery of it all, there's a place where it all confronts us. And we must wrestle with it. I want to talk about the ancient way, the way that God has established from of old. There's only ever been one way. There's never been multiple ways to the heart of the Father. There's only ever been one way. And, um, and I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that because I feel that in our current generation, we need a, uh, we need a robust approach to Christian uh, living and um, because we are, there are competing, uh, uh, what are the words I'm looking for again? Um, things are competing for our affection and uh, ideologies around us are competing for our affection and we need to know how to follow the ancient way. We need to stay on the path that that sometimes is a difficult path and we need to be able to find our way around the curves and the bends and through the valleys and up over the mountains to find ourselves in the destination that God has originally intended for us and that's his very heart. And uh, And I want to share some of those things because, gosh, uh, it seems like it's getting more and more difficult to follow the way. And um, some of you have children that ask questions or that have stopped asking questions because they don't like the answers or they find that, uh, that your answers are not well thought through. And uh, some uh, of you have those questions yourself. And the, um, the people out there on social media are making such a fuss about, uh, about the way that you used to follow and how that doesn't work anymore, that you yourself are becoming confused. And even the elect, it seems, uh, can be misled and misguided. So I want to speak about the ancient way, because there is a way. Well, first of all, let's talk about that. Does there need to be a way? Does there actually need to be a destination for us? Or are we just sort of random, uh, just we're, we're here because of, the, because of the universe that spun around and somehow you now are here? Um, is there a purpose for your life? Is there meaning in your life? And the big question, is there meaning? And, uh, and if there is meaning, what is that meaning? I am utterly convinced that the Bible has taught us from the beginning that we have meaning, that we have been created by a God who is above creation. The, the Bible that I, that I love and the words that I have given my life to follow, that I trust are the words, inspired words of God, these teach me from the beginning that there is a God who made me. And there is a God who made me with a, with a real purpose. And the purpose was that I should be in fellowship with him. There is a, a, a reason for my existence, but I have choices to make. And those choices, those choices, um, hold on a second. I'm going to uh, I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 7 because I think Jesus is going to say it better than I'm going to say it. 
in Matthew chapter 7 and uh, verse 13. Um, it's helpful when you're looking for Matthew that you actually turn to Matthew, not Mark. <laughs> Suddenly you're reading and thinking, wait, that's not the right scripture. Here it is. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus is teaching very specifically here that there is a way and that there is a hard way and an easy way. There are ways that lead to different places. And, um, and it's important for us to get this into our head that life isn't just random, that we are actually en route to somewhere. Whether we choose wisely or not, we are en route to somewhere. And I think the, 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 the most basic place that we're all headed for uh, is we're all headed for the grave. Every one of us is headed for the grave, and we can't escape it. That's, uh, I'm sorry, it's kind of a bit, uh, maybe a little bit um, macabre, you know, to think about that on a Sunday morning when you're trying to celebrate all good things. But the truth is we're all dying, every one of us. From the moment we were born, we actually were on this trajectory towards one destination, and that's the grave. Yeah. And no matter how we try to slice it or dice it, we actually can't get out of it. Um, we can try to live longer. We can make efforts to, you know, be healthy and, and so forth. We can, we can uh, prop ourselves up with whatever, whatever things we can gather to make us live longer. But the truth is we are all going to die. Uh, just this last week, um, actually, uh, maybe it was last, the end of last week, I got to be in the hospital room with, with some, some precious people as they made the very difficult decision to uh, to stop the machines on a beloved uh, family member who was not doing well and the doctors said they, they had no chance of living without the machines. And so, and so I, I was with them as we kind of wrestled with that and, and prayed through it and asked God what to do. And, and then they switched off the machines and, and their loved one lingered for a couple of days, actually sat up and spoke to them, which was amazing. Uh, responded to a prayer of salvation <laughs> and then passed away. And, uh, and so a, a remarkable thing. But I, I got to be there, and, and it reminded me once again that that's, that's where we're all headed, isn't it? We can't escape it. And so the question we have to ask ourselves, and the existential question is, what's it all about? Is there any meaning in this? Since we can't stave off death, it's coming to every one of us. What... How do we order our lives? Do we order our lives so that we can have the maximum pleasure in life before we die? Because I think that's a, it's pretty reasonable to, to say that. Don't you guys want to live a happy, wonderful life? I mean, nobody wants to leave church today and have all hell break loose and the, uh, you know, your, your, your car uh, fails, your house burns down, uh, your, your kids abandon you and say, we never want to have anything to do with you anymore, and then you lose your job. No, nobody wants bad stuff like that to happen, right? Of course you don't. Uh, we want to go out and have good things happen. We want to go and have a fantastic picnic. We want our salad to win the contest, right? And, uh, and we want to win that grand prize, that $100 to, uh, to whatever restaurant, or actually $200 for the grand prize winner to the Brazilian grill. 
Yeah, some of you are going to go down to Shaw's and buy a potato salad. <laughs> Put it in, this is my salad for the entry. No, no, no. <laughs> Shaw's salad may not win the salad contest, okay, just saying. But we all want good things to happen. So isn't it good then for us to think, well, you know, as the hedonist thinks, let's, let's, let's live life for pleasure. Let's, let's get maximum pleasure out of this. Well, the problem, of course, is that we all know that pursuit of pleasure is actually, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vain thing. It's like grasping for the wind. You can't actually hold on to it because you can't guarantee pleasure at all. Even if you had all the money in the world, you still get sick. People still get sick. And all the money in the world can't actually cure uh, go ask some people who are super wealthy and dying of cancer, and they can't fix it. I mean, you can't repair broken relationships uh, with, with you know, all the, the, the Ferraris uh, in your driveway. I mean, maybe for a moment it might work, but then the reality is it's still you driving that Ferrari, and you're still miserable, and you can't fix the broken relationship. So as it turns out, uh, you know, pure hedonism, pure seeking after pleasure doesn't doesn't work. We also know that to give yourself pleasure uh, whenever you want it actually makes pleasure not pleasurable. What makes it so nice is that you have so much time without it that when it does come, it's a special treat, right? I mean, we walked the Camino for 40 days and I never knew just how wonderful a couch would feel. <laughs> And, uh, and, and we had one or two hotel rooms where there were couches in the hotel rooms. And, uh, and I, I, I never wanted to leave those rooms, you know. Uh, when you're out there walking through uh, glorious, beautiful, gorgeous, 100-degree weather in Spain and, uh, and bone dry and you're just exhausted, um, that couch seems so, so pleasurable. And when you finally get there, wow. But, you know, when I've been home for a couple of weeks and I've been sitting on the couch... I mean, it's nice at first, but after a while, you know, your, your bum gets sore and you've got to move around a little bit. And, uh, and then, you know, you, wow, your feet are going dead because you've had them up on the ottoman too long. And, and then, you, you know, I, I mean, after a while, the, the wonderful pleasure of the couch becomes not so pleasurable anymore. And then you long back for something different that you don't have. As it turns out, there is a principle in life um, a principle of sacrifice. Sacrifice the, some of the good stuff now for a better result later. That's actually that's pretty much common sense. We all, we all do that. That's why you put your money away in a savings account. Uh, you don't spend it all at first. You, you may have done that when you were a teenager, gather your money and spend it all at once. But you discovered later that some things in life require a little bit of sacrifice. And, and so there's a destination that you're going. Destination requires sacrifice up front. Well, as we're heading towards death, what sacrifices can we make to make death better? We don't think we can. Death is death. I mean, even if you dress it all up, you know, give it a party hat and strawberry milkshakes, it's still death. It's a horrible picture. So, so what did Jesus actually come to teach us? Did he teach us how to live a good life between now and the grave? Because for many people, that's really all that Jesus came to do. He came to give some really great instruction on how to, on how to live life well. And, uh, you know, maybe how to fix your brokenness now. But ultimately, it wouldn't be of any value if it all ends at death. Because there are many competing versions for that. There's the work hard now, play later version. There's the, there's the um, 
you know, I don't know, lie, cheat, steal your way to the top and then just live on the, on the, on the wings of that until you die. There's that version too. And, and, and who would have anything to say? I mean, if the, if the end is the same for everybody, then what's, why follow anybody's teaching? Why not just forge your own way? But we know, because somehow deep inside of us, we just know that there's got to be more. We just have that, that inner sense of, of, of eternity. There's just, we, we, we just can't fathom the idea that, that we, we, we dissipate into nothingness. I mean, obviously, there, 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 there's a version of that out there. That's the, that's the, we come from the random acts of a random universe, and we don't have any long-term purpose. But nobody actually really feels comfortable with that. Because somehow deep inside of us, there is this nagging question, what comes next? And Jesus came to teach us that there really is a next. This is what the gospel really is all about. He came to teach us that there really is a next, and that next is eternal life. That's the good news part of it. The bad news part of it is there's also eternal death, eternal damnation, because he came to teach us that all of our actions have consequence. That there is nothing that we say, there's nothing that we do that is excused from the consequence. Everything we say and do, everything we think, everything we refuse to do, every, every rebellious act of our hearts, every little brokenness of our lives has consequence. Because if there's eternal life, then there must be some way in which eternal life is different for those who deserve it, whether those who deserve life get life or those who deserve death get death. I, I don't know. And what is death eternally? I, I, but some form of recompense for the choices that we've made. Jesus comes to teach us. And fundamentally, if we're ever going to follow the ancient way of the Lord, we have to believe that there is a difference between uh, what he teaches and what everybody else teaches. Jesus teaches that there is an eternal life that is available to you and to me because God made us for more. He made us for more. And that's, that's what the Bible teaches. And so as we get into this and we begin to explore these things, the fundamental building block of your, your, of your Camino, your way, is that you must know that death is not the end. And that will help you to choose where you go in this life, on this side of death. Because Jesus said there are two gateways. One leads to eternal life and one leads to eternal damnation. And that's what this verse is about in Matthew chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. The word destruction there is actually damnation. It means eternal damnation. And by the way, eternal damnation is not God punishing you for not choosing him and saying no to Jesus. Eternal damnation is just what you get because you chose to sin. You say, well, I didn't choose to sin. I was kind of born into it. Well, I, you know, that's technically correct. Yes, Adam chose to sin, and we inherited that sinful nature. And as a result of that, we humans on this planet have eternal damnation as our destiny. 
That is your direction. And broad is the road that leads there. And all of us are headed down that road. Jesus came not to say, choose me or I'm going to send you to hell. He came to say, you're going to hell. But if you follow me, I'll show you the way out. And that's different. Because the other way around, a Jesus who says, if you don't love me, I'm going to send you to hell. Who wants to serve somebody like that? That sounds like manipulation to me. And I think we've been well, well attuned to that in our generation. We, we recognize that, man. We can sniff that out right away and say, uh-uh, that's, that's misappropriation of power. That's not okay. We don't think that that's just. Well, I'm happy to tell you that's not, that's not at all what Jesus came to teach us. Choose me or I'm going to send you. No. He came to say, this is where you're headed. Hey, everybody, you already know that you're headed here. I'm going to give you the way out. But the way is narrow. The path is difficult that leads to eternal life. And so we as a, as a Christian family that want to follow the Lord on the ancient way, we've got to, first of all, believe that there really is a destination. And then secondly, we've got to believe that there are alternative routes, but they don't lead to the same place. And Jesus has come to be very exclusive in his claims. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no way to the Father except through me. And so over these next weeks, as we begin to teach on the ancient way and following that way, I'm going to teach it from this perspective, that there is no other way. No other way. And I'm going to take it that this Bible shows us that way, the, the only way, very clearly, actually. And on account of that, it's going to require of us some decision making. Because if this really is the only way, and the only way requires that we say no to this or no to that and yes to this and yes to that, then we have an obligation to what we know, don't we? Somebody said, a philosopher that I was reading, uh, said that uh, Christianity's failure is that, and I think he was quoting Nietzsche maybe, Christianity's failure is that it removes the burden from the, from the believer to live a moral life because Christ's done all the heavy lifting. And therefore Christians can rely upon Christ's grace while living their own lives any way they please. And that has proven to be the failure of Christianity. Now, before you get offended at his words, just stop and think about it for a minute. Think about it. We, we walked across a very um, religious landscape, Tammy and I, uh, on our 40-day adventure through Spain. And uh, in that religious landscape, there are dotted many, many cathedrals and chapels and many expressions of Christianity from an ancient time and th that are followed even, even now. And some of them appear to have really failed in their mission, really failed in their mission. For example, the extermination of Jewish people from Spain during the uh, Grand in Inquisition and the seizing of all properties so that they could fund the, well, the exploration of the Americas. You know, Christopher Columbus's money came from the Queen of Spain, which she took from the Jewish people. So they say, maybe that's conspiracy theory, but I think it's probably got a lot more truth to it than what people give it credit and that was a Christian nation that said, we can rape and pillage, 
the world in the name of Christ. Now, who am I to point my fingers at the Spaniards? I'm grateful to the Spaniards because they saved Christianity. I also saw some monasteries there that that were established in the 8th and ninth centuries. And thank God for them because if it weren't for them, the the, the word of God may have been lost. The Celtic, uh, the, the Irish... Uh, that, that then moved over to, uh, to, to Spain and established monasteries there, and those Celtic monasteries that, that, that held true to the, uh, the teaching of the Lord. And then uh, as a result, uh, we, have, we have the Bible in our own hands now, trustworthy. So, yeah, there are methods that were employed that succeeded and some that really failed. We met some beautiful Catholic people who clearly carry Christ. And the fragrance of Christ to them was more intoxicating than, than anything I've encountered for decades. But there were also some places where it was evident that Christianity had lost its compass. So back to the words that the philosopher said. He said that Christianity's failure is that we become so nonchalant because Christ's done all the heavy lifting, that we don't actually have to do any of the moral stuff. And we can chalk it all up to the grace of God that forgives us for our sins, and we can carry on our lives in our own hedonistic pleasures without making significant changes. Well, here at Living Hope Family Church, I want us to really consider deeply the narrow gate and the difficult way not because I want to make Christianity a, a slog and hard work for you. I think it just is. I think it is. I mean, I could stand at the bottom of the mountain and say to you, you, you see the path that goes all the way up there? It's, it's not hard. It's not difficult. Uh, you, it's a breeze. You're going to do so well. Um, but I would be lying to you. The way that the Lord has called us onto is exclusive. It requires of us real sacrifices. Over the last few weeks, I had conversation with friends who's, who were excited to tell me that they're moving in with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. And, uh, and I smiled and said, oh, that's nice. When in my heart, I'm saying, oh, God, these Christian kids... They're not choosing the narrow way. Instead, they're following the way of the world. Broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many there are on it. And I wasn't invited into their, into their decision-making, and I wasn't invited to, say, to give my opinion. I was just invited to smile and wave and say, that's nice. That's what my invitation was. And... Uh, And something inside of my heart just breaks because I know the pain that will come and the brokenness that will come. I want to call us as a church to remember the ancient way. I want to call us as a church to restore the expectation of those who join our ranks that this is going to be hard and yet it will be life. When Peter was in that boat and Jesus said, go on out and put down their nets, he did something miraculous. He did something beautiful. He gave him his expectation, which was a boatload of fish. 
And then he did something completely unexpected. He said, follow me. And following him meant that Peter needed to leave the boat and the nets and the fish and everything if he wanted that kind of life. Jesus comes not so that we can have wealth and pleasure on this earth, though there may be times when we do experience wealth and there may be times when we do experience wonderful pleasures. And today at the salad contest, somebody's going to win. And the rest of us are actually going to be the winners because we get to taste all those delicious salads. And it's going to be a glorious time and a wonderful time. And we will celebrate this beautiful day that God has given us. And it will be fabulous. But that's not what Jesus came to give us. He came to give us a crystal clear map that brings us to the heart of the Father on the other side of death. And if we are only focused on what we get out of it here, then my friends, we will not, we will not survive. We just will not survive. I want to call Living Hope Family Church to teach her children and her grandchildren, as it were, our children and grandchildren, that there is a narrow way. I want you to know that the broad way always leads to destruction. I want to restore again the hope that we can actually make it up that hard pathway because Jesus is with us and that we can get there. And it's not just going to be all blood, sweat and tears. But I want us to be convinced of the reward that lies ahead for those who are faithful to the Lord, those who complete this mission, who get to the end, who are faithful to the end, who overcome, to them will be given the crown of life and they will rule over the nations. I want to restore again the sense of gravity. The kind of gravity that happens when you read through Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and you see what Jesus says to the churches that are following and that are not following. And I want us to recall and remember, this is not just some philosophy about how to live a quiet and peaceable life. This is about life after death. This is about eternity with the Lord. I want to restore again the idea that there are choices and there are blessings. Blessed is the one whose heart is set on pilgrimage, that we will appear before God in Zion, every one of us. My heart and my prayer for you is that you'll be brave enough to listen and to then start doing that and restoring that message everywhere you go as well, pointing out to others that the way is narrow, but it leads to life. The way is narrow, but it leads to life. The way is narrow, but it leads to life. May God give you courage to listen. May God give me courage to speak. May God help us. Lord, we pray. Hear our prayer. We humble ourselves before you. And we want to be restored again to the right and righteous path the only way. In Jesus' name, amen.